podcast. My name is Santosh Pavin, and I am here with Chris. Chris Grein, is it uh, South? Yep, that's right. Awesome. Chris Grein, who is a illustrator, graphic novelist. Um, he recently put out a book called Time Shifters. Uh, he has produced uh, one or two graphic novels uh, called Chicken Hair, I believe, right? Yep. Chris, so welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So, Chris, how did it all begin in terms of the art and comics that you're producing these days? Uh, the comics thing started because uh, I kind of I'd always wanted to do comics, but um, when I was in college, uh, getting my illustration degree, it was kind of it seemed kind of at the time like it just that probably wasn't the best way to go if I actually wanted to be able to have a you know make a living. So, you know, at the time I, I went into uh, I focused more on children's book illustration even though that was that's arguably probably even harder to get into um and just some more just freelance type stuff uh and then once i once i graduated um i got i got a job at hallmark greeting cards uh designing cards and after i'd been there just a few years i felt comfortable enough that i decided to kind of maybe you know try my hand at doing comics because i kind of had a safety net now uh, and just put some stuff out there and see how it went. And that, and that was, uh, I got lucky on my first shot actually. Well, when I submitted stuff to, you know, I kind of looked up all the indie publishers cause I wasn't looking for doing like, you know, Marvel or DC type stuff. That wasn't, it was always going to be more of an independent type thing. And, uh, I, so I sent out to all of them and I mostly got rejection letters back, but, you know, w- which I expected cause it was my first, you know, try at all. And, and then, uh, I, I took their advice and I started kind of reworking some stuff because I thought, you know, I'll just, you know, change it around a little bit and see if I can't, you know, pick it up later. And and then uh, one of the editors at Dark Horse Comics actually called me uh, or emailed me about six months later just to see if I had, you know, revised anything or had something new to show, which I thought was awesome. You know, she actually, her name is Shauna Gore, and she actually, uh, like my, my stuff, I guess, made enough of a impression on her, even though it wasn't going to work. At the way it was, um, that she was still interested in, in, you know, if I had something new. So that was kind of how I got my foot in the door. Awesome. So were you working in-house at Hallmark, or was this all pretty much freelance? No, it was in-house. Uh, okay. They have they had a pretty large in-house uh, art department. I don't know how large it is anymore. It's, it's shrunk considerably. I'd say probably at least 50% since I was there. Um, but... And it was awesome. They've just, you know, had to face a lot of realities that a lot of other corporations have had to deal with in the past 10 years or so. And they're just kind of overextended, I think. And uh, they had to make some cutbacks. So now I still do some work for them, but it's freelance. And, you know, it is what it is. So as far as comics, though, you've been doing comics for like your own comics for quite a while, right? Yeah, I started the first my first chicken hair book uh, in 2005, and it came out in 2006, so that would have been my very first comic. That was my first uh, graphic novel, yeah. And what inspired you to do it? I mean, what, what inspired you to, to start chicken hair? 
where did the impetus come from? You know, I don't know. Um, it it's it was anybody who's read Chicken Hair would would probably agree with me and say that it's a, it's a little weird. It's a little out there. Um, I think part of it comes from the fact that, and a lot of my stuff comes from the fact that I, I, I know I've watched Adult Swim, you know, as an example, or cartoons in general, m- most of my life, and even more so once I graduated college and we got a house and everything, and I, that became like my evening ritual. So, you know, I watch a lot of that kind of stuff, um, and also working at Hallmark all day, where everything was very, you know, safe and family friendly all the time, and there was not a lot of edge to anything. It was kind of where it was kind of a uh, therapy for me I guess a little bit at least to begin with chicken hair was it was just a little the first version I did was a lot darker than what actually ended up being published because at the time you know I was I was just kind of doing something just for me and and uh I really wasn't thinking about you know what age group this was going to be in or or how that was going to play out I had that, that thought hadn't even crossed my mind so I was really doing it for me for fun and the characters were just kind of a mishmash of characters that I that I had sketched in the past or come up with and and I just kind of put them all together and kind of worked out a, a story that kind of tied them all together in a somewhat believable way so mostly it was just for fun and you know uh, I actually found you I think either by chicken or but I, I think somebody posted a link to wicked crispy or it was your Instagram that I saw that I just the art kind of just you know glared at me and said, I got to check this out. How did Wicked Crispy start? Wicked Crispy started with, I. it's been a couple years now, but I had this idea in my head that I kind of wanted to do a, kind of a Masters of the Universe parody. I've, I always liked that world where just all the characters were, you know, just very colorful and almost garish and just one note kind of characters and I just loved that and I thought there was something I could do with it but I couldn't come up with a hook like what what made this interesting why why would anybody want to read this I can't just make it a just a straight up parody or something I just felt like that would be boring and then uh Hallmark you know uh I got laid off in the most recent round which is it's been about two years now thankfully there hasn't been another big round of layoffs but um the round where they decided that they no longer needed in-house cartoonists because uh, they could just freelance that out or just reuse old stuff, which you know I kind of scratched my head out as did a lot of a lot of the other cartoonists that got let go at the same time. So that kind of became my fodder was okay. So I got all these these villains. I wanted to focus on these on the villains because I always liked them better. So the thing is, is in about the first ten pages, they they all get fired. They all lose their jobs, and so that was something that I could relate to and kind of pour into kind of what I was going through. So that kind of became my outlet for a little while. I was trying to get other freelance work going. I had a lot of offers coming in for, for miscellaneous projects and other comic book work, but Wicked Crispy kind of, kind of filled in all the gaps and the spaces, uh, where I might sit around and just, I don't know, maybe, maybe get the, um, kind of depressed a little bit or, I don't know, or, or lose focus. So I just kind of forced myself to use that to keep creating art and keep busy every day. Um, and it is just things that make me laugh. And I was making it just for me. It's it's found an audience, <laughs> which I'm, I'm happy about. It's definitely a very odd, very not safe for work type of a, of a webcomic. And I really don't promote it that much outside of Instagram. But um, and even then I don't promote it too much there cause I don't really want it to compete with my, 
my all ages stuff, my my family friendly things. I don't want to accidentally, you know, I don't want kids to find it. It's not that bad, but it's just it's just different content and it's not really appropriate. Uh, but it is just things that I just keep working on it now and, and when I can, and it just makes me laugh. And I like getting responses from people or emails from people that have have just stumbled upon it and it just makes them happy and it makes them laugh and and that's kind of like my motivation to keep going with it and that's pretty much what it is it's it was just a um kind of an experiment for myself that to keep myself busy and it's just kind of uh, taking on a life of its own a little bit and you, you know it's it's definitely got some witty banter and i can see how like much fun you had with the characters, but then what's interesting is I see some of that banter in, in your new project, uh, Time Shifters, which uh, just came out in May, I believe, right? Yeah, end of May. Tell us how that <clears throat> uh, came together in terms of uh, the start of Time Shifters. Time Shifters, um, Time Shifters was a pitch that I had put into Scholastic. Uh, and at the time, it wasn't called Time Shifters. I was calling it something else. Uh, I can't. It's been a while now. Um, time Twisters, I think. Yeah, Time Twisters was the original title. But anyway, I had pitched this idea to him. But even even before that, I had this idea where there was this kid who would go on these wacky adventures with like a scientist and a ro and a robot and a dinosaur and a and a ghost character. And I kind of had a loose idea of of where those characters came from, but I didn't have beyond the fact that the kid was just going to go on these adventures i wanted to do that kind of a story i didn't i kind of ran into problems when i realized that you know do they they can't just take the kid away to these other dimensions or other time travel stuff because that's technically you know kidnapping and and it could be it could be uh, you know scary for some kids or, or maybe they just get him and they bring him back every night and i thought that that was very limiting so i kind of put it on the back burner for a little while I, just to kind of think it out a little bit more, and uh, and about the same time, uh, my dad passed away. He'd been sick for a little while, and it was, you know, it wasn't like a huge shock because he had been sick. But I still found myself in this kind of weird place afterwards, where I just, I I just was not feeling creative at all. I had the projects that you know that I was in the middle of that I just kind of kept working on, but I wasn't feeling creative or or any particular desire to to do anything else just yet, and um, I kind of that kind of became my motivation for time shifters. Um, I kind of I was able to again. This is another thing that kind of I felt like it needed a hook, and I didn't know what that was yet. So I was able to incorporate the my loss um, and how what I was going through with the main character, the the boy. He in the story he he loses his brother uh, right at the beginning. They were very close. And and then it kind of goes through kind of what I was going through, where you just you just kind of stop being you, you know, even if it's just for a little while. Um, I kind of feel like that's what depression was for me. It was I just wasn't myself anymore. I just I didn't want to have fun. Where I typically am, the guy who watches cartoons, you know, all evening and just is always making jokes. And and I just didn't feel like doing any of that. And so I was able to do that with this kid. He's going through this thing at the beginning, and he gets pulled into this kind of a wacky adventure which is you know it's 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 silly and and wacky and and crazy but and and you know at first he's just like you know he it's out of nowhere he wasn't planning on doing this this is crazy and as it as the adventure gets going he kind of he relaxes a little bit he starts remembering a little bit more of 
of, of what he was like, you know, uh, before the tragedy and everything. And he starts getting more and more comfortable. And by the end of it, he's kind of his, his old self again, and he's, and he's ready for more adventures. And, and, and he's able to, at the end of the story, and I don't want to give too much away, but he is able to kind of rectify some of the things that had happened in his life, but maybe not in the way that the reader is expecting or hoping for, I guess. Um, I'm sorry, I realize I'm saying um a lot. Uh, no worries. But um, th- that was that was kind of where that came from, and and I feel like, and and just as as the character as I was writing this thing and, and illustrating it, was kind of going through these kind of phases. So was I, and by the time I was done with the book, I I felt like it was like a therapy for me. It was like something I needed. It was like catharsis and and a little bit and. I don't know. I did. I was able to dedicate the the book to my dad, and and it is. I am the most proud of this project that of anything I've ever done. I just feel like, even though it's like almost three hundred pages, and I had to ink it and color it. I did everything. I wrote it, inked it, colored it, did all the lettering. Um, I feel like I didn't. I didn't phone in any of the any of the pages, any of the art. Even though I was tired and exhausted, I didn't want to look back on any page and think, oh, I wish I would have just spend a little more time on this or spend a little bit more time on that. So every page, I feel like I gave 100% as much as I could. And I'm just really, really proud of it. And that's kind of how that's kind of how it uh, came about. It's probably the longer story than what you were looking for. But Well, I, I, I have the hardbound book in my hand. And I have to say, I mean, it's, it's, it is very impressive. And um, reading it, you know, I was drawn into it by that first event or that that emotional event. And I, I think now hearing your story, the authenticity rung true. I mean, it, it just, it felt very real. It didn't felt, it didn't feel um, fake in any way. And I think that sort of set the tone for the character and helped me buy into the adventure of this kid, right? And it's same with my nephew who read it. I gave him a copy to read and just, you know, he's 12 years old and he, he loved it. He, he got into it. He's like, yeah, I, I liked it. You know, and I, I gave him another graphic novel that he wasn't so excited about, but it was sort of in the same vein. Um, but it was more heavy on the world building, but not so connected to the characters. I think that I bought into and that he, bought into so um it's it's an amazing product now did did this um work was it all done digitally uh i would say 75 percent is probably digital because i do my um my rough my rough sketches my penciled pages on i actually and this is something as a product of working at hallmark for 16 years um they they have drawers and drawers full of like uh three by fives or four by you know sixes or whatever, um, where they encourage the artist to just always have a stack of these at their desk. You know, it's for doing thumbnails or sketches or taking to meetings and just it's kind of like it takes the place of sketchbooks and stuff. And so I've just be, I just became so accustomed to that, that that's what I do my penciled pages on my rough kind of thumbnail type ones. But I I use a mechanical pencil so they're fairly tight. Um, and so what I can do is I can take those anywhere. I can go to Panera and work. I can. If I have to go to the doctor's appointment or whatever, I'm in the waiting room. I can work if I want to, and I don't have to have this huge, huge pieces of paper or, or even a sketchbook for that matter. 
um, which can sometimes be kind of large. And so what I do at that point is once I get those where I want them, uh, I then scan those in to the computer, uh, drop the opacity down to about 10 or 15%, basically whatever will print out and you can see the line work, but just barely. Uh, and then I will, so I print it out at 100%, which is still, you know, an eight, eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. And I will do like really tight pencils on top of that. And then I'll, once again, I'll scan those in, drop down the opacity, and that becomes my template for when I'm inking digitally uh, on top of those. And I find that if I spend more time, the more time I spend doing the pencils and getting them really tight and accurate, uh, I can ink way faster because the decisions have been made. Um, and if I haven't made those decisions, I can sometimes just noodle uh, an inked page to death and just keep dancing around like this panel that I never finished the hands on or I didn't get that face just right and now I'm, you know, I just don't get to it. So basically the pencils are the only traditional part of it at this point and then it's scanned in and inked and colored and word balloon. Everything else is completely digital. And so, so you have a lot of pages actually pretty much all the pages of penciled artwork that um, are at your house pretty much, right? Or you know, I, 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 yes and no. Sometimes I keep some of them, sometimes I don't, because really they're just, they're just printouts on just kind of cheap, whatever the cheapest printer paper is I have. And, you know, it's, they're not anything beautiful. Like, they're certainly not like, when you, when you go, if you've been to like a comic convention or even seen pages online where it's like the traditional, 11 by 17, you know, uh, boards that they've penciled and inked on, or even even some of the, the people who, I have a couple of friends who ink the same size I work at, but they're actually inking traditionally. Um, those are beautiful. And what I, what I have, these rough pencils on, sometimes the paper's kind of shiny and slick, so the pencil's not even, doesn't even show up that well. And I usually only use um, non-photo non blue, not for any real reason. I think that's just a product of being a huge animation fan. Uh, I use I use pencils like that too on it, so it's not even they're not even dark inks or or penciled pages. I don't know they're not they're not that impressive. But yes, I guess I do have a stack of those somewhere. So going into the business side of this a little bit, um, can you tell us um, how Scholastic was interested in time shifters and what did the proposal contain? that got them excited about making it? You, you mentioned a little bit about it, but... Um, well, with, with, with Time Shifters, it was... They had, they had said that they were open to new uh, pitches because I had done Chicken Hair. They picked up Chicken Hair from Dark Horse and we had done it in color with them. And they had opted to not do any, any more of the Chicken Hair books, but they were still very much interested in whatever else I had. So... Um, I had a couple ideas of, for different types of books that I hadn't really, you know, fleshed out very much. Kind of like Time Shifters at the time, as I said, I I had this idea for this kid, but or the, in this adventure, but I didn't really know where it was going. And I had a lot of a couple other projects, kind of in the same kind of a space where they're kind of where I want them, but they're still missing something, and I I haven't quite thought it out yet. But uh, when I pitched all like three of these things to my editor, just very loosely, um, he 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 gravitated towards this one. Um, because I had, because he knew I had been going through this stuff with my dad and 
and I had explained that, that that was the hook and this was what I was going to be doing with this, I think. And he got really interested in it at that point and he wanted to see more of like, you know, a longer synop like a synopsis, like instead of just like a half page kind of a brief kind of a couple paragraph thing, he wanted to see like a five to six page synopsis of what I thought this book would look like. And uh, so, you know, I, I took that and was able to expand on it and, and even surprise myself a little bit when I'm expanding these things. I kind of have to make up, you know, I know it goes from A to A to Z, the story, but a lot of times I don't have the in-between. And, uh, and a lot of it is, too, and, and two, anybody who's read my stuff and if you've read Time Shifters, there's a lot of humor in there, whether it's visual or, or if it's dialogue driven or whatever, but a lot of that doesn't come through in a synopsis. So... I was fortunate enough that, that I had done chicken hair with them already and they and, and we'd had enough conversations that they knew what my style of humor was. And it, yeah, it didn't I, w I didn't have to try to explain to them, but, but don't worry, it's going to be funny, I promise. They kind of had a good idea that it was probably going to have a lot of humor in it. So they they I guess they took it on faith <laughs> that it would because writing trying to say trying to put that in a synopsis is difficult to try to explain why something's going to be funny or not. So I was able to just focus on like the major plot points of what was going to happen. Uh, so and then once once I got through that part, then they were like, okay. And then I gave them some concept art, and then at that point they take it internally. They take it to uh, you know whoever whoever it is internally at Scholastic that they show these things to to get the the, the right you know the, to, for them to approve. Okay, we're going to do this. We're going to. And at that point, then they come. They come back to me with either a yes or no, and unfortunately, they came back with a with a yes. And it happened to be the same exact week that I had lost my job. They called me and and they made me an offer for to do uh, time shifters, and that couldn't have been better timing. So, to be really honest with you, I was not. I was heading into a pretty bad spot. I thought think for a couple of days there, and that kind of kind of pulled me out really quick. It was good. That was uh, last year, right? Or. Mm. No, it was two years ago. It was uh, it would have been June of 2015. Okay. Yeah, uh, because yeah, because the book came out this past May, but I had to have it done last. Uh, no, I think it was finally done November 2016, and it came out May 2017. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, it was about 18 about 18 months of work, uh, a time time frame, maybe just a little less than that actually. To actually do so, it. Did, did you have an agent that was involved in the negotiations? I do have. I do have an agent. Uh, he was involved in the negotiations, but there really wasn't a lot to negotiate. Um, I found out. I mean, Scholastic pretty much says, you know, they're not. They're not being, you know, mean or anything about. It, but they're like, this is here's your here's the deal. This is what we give. You know, everybody. You know, and uh, my my agent went in and we read it. He had some suggestions, you know. Um, they worked some stuff out. It wasn't anything major, though, because I mean, the deal was the deal was pretty good, you know. I mean, they were. I feel like they were fair, and they've been nothing but amazing to work with. I've, I don't know. It's it's been just a amazing experience working with them. They they know their stuff. My editor uh, Adam Rao is fantastic. I can't say that enough. Um, he's you know. I think my biggest fear was, you know, they're like, okay, well, we got some notes for you on the story, or we're gonna, we got this and that, and a bunch of editorial stuff, and I was like, oh man, they're gonna, duh, they're gonna try to change a bunch of stuff, and you know, I just wasn't used to that because I'd always, with chicken hair and stuff, I would, 
you know, and maybe that's not the norm, but I was just pretty much left to my own story stuff. Unless, you know, I, had I stepped way out of bounds, I think probably somebody would have said something. But I was always just kind of allowed to do my own thing, and I hadn't done anything major in between that time. So I was I was really worried that it was going to be like, oh, no, you know, notes. You always hear about notes on movies or TV shows and how badly that goes. But they actually had some they actually had some notes that I thought were like really solid and I can't believe that I hadn't thought of them and, or they were just so, they were just such great ideas that they just helped the story so much. It's just been working with them has been as amazing as I had ho- always hoped it would have been, which goes, you know, back to college when I was trying to get into children's books and stuff. And Scholastic was always the, you know, for me at least it was always like, man, if I could just get a book at Scholastic, you know, yeah, I mean, they have such an amazing distribution channel and, you know, being part of the graphics. I'm sure being part of the graphics line with Kazu and uh, Jeff Smith's phone, I'm, I'm sure that was a uh, very lucrative kind of reason. Or uh, not a lucrative, but more of a like, a, oh, wow, to be associated with the company that's putting up, you know, Kazu and... Uh, Jeff Smith's stuff, Doug Tenable's work, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm still a little in shock, you know, when I'm at a, like I was just at a comic book convention this weekend and, you know, people came up to my table and they're like, oh, Time Shifters, what's this? And then they see, what? And they're like, this is Scholastic? They get, you know, that is, they get more excited that the word Scholastic is on there than the actual product that's sitting in front of them. And that, it just, it's... I'm not the only one, you know, apparently who thinks that that's a big deal. And, and so when I see that reaction from people, it just, I don't know, I just, it just makes me feel really good. You know, I feel like I really accomplished something and, and it's, you know, it's cool. It's really cool. So you, you gave them the exclusive pretty much, right? That was, it was like scholastic or nothing, right? Or, were, you know, earlier on were you like, well, you know, here's some other publishers or was your agent like, well, here's some other publishers or it was just like Scholastic is I've worked with them before. I like working with them. I'm going to have this at Scholastic or was there, you know, some other things that were. Well, that was kind of the, that was kind of a funny thing. Uh, my agent and I had a, and, and my agent's awesome. I've, we've always had a really good relationship and he's really cool. And, you know, he's always looking out for me and, and he's always like, trying to trying to make sure I got the best deal, you know, for whatever. And when when Scholastic, you know, was interested in chicken hair, he was like, well, you know, you know, we could do that or, you know, there's other publishers too and I was like, no, no, you don't understand. <laughs> it's happening. It's happening at Scholastic. I mean, they could offer me like a just a half-eaten can of beans, you know, and I'd probably take the deal. Uh, just, just because, you know, so many years, you know, I was in college 95 to 2000, you know, at art school where there was the, at the Kansas City Art Institute and then at Ringling School of Art and Design. And it was just always, that was always for me, just one of my goals, you know, I guess I hate to use the term bucket list or whatever, but I mean, that was, Scholastic was, has always been on my radar, like a huge thing on my radar and so to have the option with chicken hair to go in and do that and now to have kind of just the freedom to kind of pitch ideas to him and stuff now it's just it's it's just a little unbelievable so what was there a marketing strategy for time shifters and were you involved with 
any of the marketing? Were you allowed to kind of have some input? Because they, I'm sure they have a division, right? Yeah, they do. Um, if there was, if there's been marketing, I haven't, I haven't really heard anything about it. I guess I'm sure there has been. I mean, the book fairs are kind of just now ramping up. Yeah. In schools, and that's their kind of bread and butter, you know. Um, and since it came, since the book came out at the end of May, it was really, you know, that's kind of a. I, I'm imagining. I don't know this for sure, but I'm imagining that's probably a slow part of the year for them, uh, the summertime. Yeah. Uh, they do have summer reading programs and things like that, but I mean, the book fair is is huge, and so I've had a couple people send me pictures now from of their kids holding my book at the book fair, and it's pretty prominently displayed and everything. So I got to imagine that that's not an accident. And, you know, and they're pushing it. So, you know, it's just, it's awesome. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just a little, I'm still so flattered and, and take, a little taken aback by the whole, the whole thing. So. Well, so you talked a little bit about your uh, editorial relationship between uh, you and Adam Rao. Mm-hmm. How do you work together on this project in terms of uh, time shifters? Um, you said there were, there were notes, but how did the process you enjoyed working with him, but oh, talk yeah. more about that? Or? Yeah, um, well, I'm trying to think of what kind of notes we had. Uh, oh, okay, so there's a part where, in the book, where there's a hologram. The dinosaur actually has a, like a built-in holog- hologram projector to kind of disguise him. And in my, in my original sketches, it kind of turned him into like kind of a scary-looking old lady, I guess. I mean, she wasn't scary. It was just kind of a weird-looking old lady. It just made me laugh. Again, it was just something that made me laugh. And I, I didn't think beyond this is making me laugh. Uh, you know, and they came back with, could we maybe not make it an old lady? We don't want it to look like we're making fun of old people. And at first I was like, oh, seriously, I'm not making fun of old people. But then, you know, I get that. I get that. Uh, you know, and that was just not something I was thinking about. So, again, that was so it was so easy to fix. I just made it into the it's it's a it looks like a baker now kind of a guy, which is equally weird cuz he's carrying a, a birthday cake all the time, which makes no sense. You know, and that made me laugh even more. So, you know, it, it was those kind of notes where, you know, they're coming at it from, you know, a business point of view and they want to make sure that everything's okay where my humor can sometimes take a right turn or a left turn really fast. You know, I don't know, I don't always notice it. Uh, that that it got weird really fast, uh, so and they were able to kind of pull me back a little bit, and, it, and it's been great. Um, so, but but then like, f- okay, so one of my favorite things was the book when I originally p- penciled the book when it was comp- when I was done with it, and I'll say the first time it, it came in at like two hundred and twelve pages, and and I I was getting it as tight as I could um, narratively and page count wise because I, I was afraid that if I pushed it too much they were going to go this is too long and I was already kind of concerned that they were going to go 212 pages is kind of long maybe we shouldn't do that maybe we should try to edit some stuff out because and I was sweating bullets because just thinking about that because I had no idea where I was going to cut anything it, I had made it so tight at that point like I just anything taken out could have unraveled like plenty of other scenes and I would have had to it would have been so weird uh, but actually what happened was is once they had read it, they came back to me and they enjoyed it so much that they said if I wanted to add thirty or forty more pages, I could. And I was like, I was so relieved because I had cut out so many little character moments and little funny things and just little 
quiet scenes, maybe even just scenes that just show some exposition. I love setting up a scene with like a, a nice, quiet, big panel page. I don't know if you remember the page where it's just like a pullback in the desert, and you, all you see is the wagon going. A couple of pages like that, and there's a there was a joke with a rubber mask that came up twice. Once where they where it's I don't, I'm trying not to ruin it for anybody, but once where you kind of learn about this rubber mask that Abraham Lincoln has, and then later the bad guys kind of find it, and it becomes another joke, and all that was added in after I had done my first pass on the book um so i was able to go back and add in what i consider some of the best parts of the book and i think that happens with movies a lot too you know they have to edit it for time and always the always the character moments always the small little moments are the ones that get cut and and that's unfortunate and so i was i was just very lucky to be able to go back and do that so i credit them with with that of you know letting me go back in and i think it made the book so much stronger no i agree that's there, there are moments in there that are just really fun and there are special moments that really kind of surround or make these characters unique. I think that that helped the book overall besides the strong emotional core to the you know main character. So you mentioned before that Doug Tenable was somehow involved in this. Can you, can you tell us the story about Doug Tenable and Time Shifters? How did that? How did Doug? Well, it was it was it, yeah. He's not. Oh well, yeah. Okay. So I'll start at the beginning. Um, I don't I don't know. I still don't really know Doug that well. I mean, there's been some correspondence through email. Um, but growing up, I was this huge fan of like Earthworm Jim and and a lot of his other projects and and certainly a lot of his scholastic books, whether it's Ghost World or Cardboard or, or anything he, or Rat Fist even, which I I can't remember what publisher did that, but it was a web comic that he was doing at the time called Rat Fist. And it's yeah. a, it was a little out there. And at the same time, I'd had my first two chicken hair books uh, at Dark Horse had been done. And they had opted to not do any more books. So I was like, okay, I don't really have anything else to do right now. So I'm going to throw my hat in the webcomic ring and maybe just see how that goes. Because it's something I can just kind of do while I'm and, and learn a little bit at the same time. So I started what I was calling, you know, chicken hair three. And in... And I was doing full color and everything, and I was doing about, I think, a page a week. Maybe it was two pages a week, but I think it was like one page a week, which which was probably not fast enough. And also, the fact that I didn't have the publishing rights for book one and two at the time meant I had to be starting in book three, and a lot of people didn't know what had happened before that. So it really wasn't finding a lot of traction. But I was learning a lot, so I just kind of kept going for a while. I got up to about page 80 or 90, and then... I get I started getting all this traffic from from Doug Tenable's uh, Ratfist uh, webcomic. I was confused because I was checking the analytics, and I went there, and sure enough, he had said, "Hey, if you guys want to check out a beautiful webcomic, check out Chicken Hair." And I was like, "What is happening?" Like he and then and then that same afternoon, I got an email from him. He contacted me and said, "Hey, man, you know I really like your webcomic." Is it okay if I recommend you to my my? Uh, I've recommended it to my publisher at Scholastic, and and so I was just floored. I remember I was just floored that number one that he was contacting me, and then and that I was being you know recommended to Scholastic of all places, because as far as I know, even till today, you can't you can't re- you can't really just send stuff to them. It's, they don't really take unsolicited stuff, so. 
it was it was amazing and that's kind of and that's kind of how it happened so he got my foot in the door with chicken air which they picked up and and we did a redid re, the first book we changed some dialogue we added some pages and i colored the whole thing you know which has led to time shifters now so i am i still owe him a drink you know if i ever run into him at a convention or whatever i still definitely owe him a firm handshake and a and a huge thank you it's been it's been huge that's great so when you did the deal with the time shifters were you able to live off that was it a livable book advance for the the time that you were producing the uh book in terms <clears throat> of production the i think what you said it was 18 months right yeah i don't know <coughs> hold on excuse me <coughs> I'm not I'm not sure if it was really livable. But luckily, I mean my wife my wife works at Hallmark still. She's a graphic designer there. So we have a full-time income, you know, um coming in. So and I have lots of little freelance type jobs, other other small comic book type stuff coming in. So but you know, it's hard to say it it really wasn't like a livable. Like if 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 I was on my own and I got that uh that advance and then that was it for my year, basically. And the thing was, too, is you know you get paid, and in advance you get like half up front and then half when it's done. So I got half in one calendar year, and then then there was a whole year in between that because I got like half in June, or I probably was more like August or maybe even September. And then I didn't get paid again until right at right at the tail end of 2016. So it was almost. You know, it was over two full calendar years, basically. So, probably not really. I, you know, I don't feel like I feel like it was fine. Uh, you know, it, but I couldn't have just lived off that. Now, if it was just me, I, I would have been living in a living under a bridge with that, with that. But that's just because you know. I mean, it's kind of hard to. Bill, I got bills, student loans, and car payments and stuff. It would have just you know, it would have been gone pretty quick. But. uh it wasn't bad though. I was I was very happy with. It. I feel like it was very competitive, especially for you know what the comic book stuff is these days. So were you doing illustration work on the side as well, or? Yes, as as much as I could. Yeah. Yeah. And so you had that kind of within your schedule, sort of keeping the balance of doing freelance work as well as doing your graphic novel over that last eighteen months, kind of right. Right, and like like a, the way I described doing my pencils too was nice because I could work on freelance, you know, stuff that was like computer-based stuff during the day uh, when I work, when the kids are at school and my wife's at work, and then in the evenings I could we could be sitting in the living room watching TV, my wife and I after the kids went to bed, I could have my stack of, you know, four by sixes and my little drawing table, and you know, when I'm sitting on the couch watching TV and I could be working and still watching TV and hanging out with my wife too, so it was multitasking, you know, I basically had to make the most, you know, best use of my time. But, but I definitely wasn't going to turn down any, any you know, painting jobs. I just, we just couldn't afford it. So what I didn't get a lot of sleep. <laughs> what does a production day look like with you in terms of your comic? I mean, do you, uh, when you were working on time shifters, were you, you know, doing one page a day as far as, Inking two pages a day or more, or you know, uh, how long does it take you to do a pencil to page? Maybe well, the, the, pen uh, the pencil pages were like I said, the like the thumbnails I would work first. That's probably like maybe I don't know 
30 to 45 minutes for for this little thumbnail. Maybe not maybe not that long, but that's where I'd made most of my decisions. Most of the broad stroke decisions are made in those um, those sketches before I scan it in and then reprint it out and tighten it back up. So maybe maybe an hour, 15 minutes, you know, maybe per page to pencil it. And then but what happened was is with time shifters and I don't usually do this. I usually pride myself on, you know, you know, being having a schedule and 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 not messing up that schedule. Well, I I uh, somehow I did all the pencils and then I was like, well, I got I got plenty of time left. I was I because I spent like about three months doing these pencils, almost almost 270 pages. Uh, I decided you know it took a month off just to relax because my hand was hurting and you know it just it was just a lot of work. And then uh, I had to do the word balloons too at that point because Scholastic they want to see it's kind of like seeing like a rough draft of a manuscript I guess but in this in this instance it's penciled the entire book penciled with word balloons because they're going to do their editing pass and everything at the time I've never worked like that before usually usually comic book publishers it's like the first 20 pages and then a synopsis is usually good to go and then they do their editing afterwards but you know Scholastic it was just a little different so I got all that done and then I took then it was approaching summertime and we had some stuff going on with family and I was like, oh, I'm going to take, you know, I'm going to enjoy summer a little bit and then I'll hit it really hard in the, you know, closer to, to when school goes back. Cause it was really only like taking like two months off from this, from this project when I had like 18 months to do it. And I knew that I, w I would have no problem doing it in these 18 months. So, uh, I knew that they needed the first 20 pages, like at the end of August, fully inked and colored for their galleys. And that was fine. That was what was sticking in my head. Uh, but what turns out that they needed was the entire book inked and finished with finished word balloons and the first 20 pages colored by the end of August. So, and I didn't realize that until the end of June when I had 20 pages inked, about 25 pages inked probably. So from about the end of June till the end of August, I inked about 250 pages uh, and that basically consisted of me working all day long, and then the kids would get home from school around three, and I would take a little time off for them, and then dinner time, and a little bit of time in the evening to play, and then I would go back down to my dungeon in the basement and work until I couldn't stay up anymore. And sometimes I would still be awake in the morning and make breakfast and lunch for everybody, lunches for schools and stuff. And then I would lay down for a couple hours, but I would set my alarm for about two and a half or three hours and wake myself up and get back up and go downstairs and work. And, and I did that for about two and a half months like that until I got this book inked. And I was like, the only thing that was getting me through that was, okay, when this is done, I'm going to have a little time off. Um, I deserve some time off. Two or three weeks, I'm going to take two or three weeks off and just sleep. I was just so exhausted. He said never again. Never again. Oh, my God. And that was my bad. That was my bad. I had nobody to be mad at but myself. And then, I so I get these things done. I turn them in, and they're like, so, everything go okay? I'm like, oh, yeah, no problem. No problem. You know, I'm a little tired. I, you know. And then they're like, okay, so we're going to need the finished book by the end of October. And I was like, oh, what? <laughs> so I, though I then had to immediately start coloring the pages between the end of August and the end of October, two months, that actually it's probably about yeah two and a half months I had to do to to color 250 pages now, 
and it was just as grueling and just as horrible. Um, but like I like I said earlier, like I tried to not phone it in on any page. I really took you know as I worked fast, but I tried to get as you know as good as I could possibly do on every page. And somehow I don't remember most of fall last year. I just don't remember any of it. But I got it done, and and that was my you know. But my a normal day for me, I would say, if if I'm just in like work mode and I'm inking comics. And, and the pencils are ready to go, and today I'm going to ink comics today, then I'd say I could probably ink seven or eight pages if I was really, if I was really busy. Maybe. Is that Photoshop or Clip Studio? Or? It's Clip Studio. I ink in Clip Studio. That's all I do in that, though, and then I, I color it in Photoshop. Okay. So yeah. you talked a little bit about uh, balance. Like how do you balance your life? as a comic creator and illustrator and then spend time with your kids and your wife or have a life I mean what's well it's it's sometimes it's difficult but a lot of it just means like I'm sa I'm sacrificing you know sleep um, really is what it comes down to because uh, I I've always had this rule and it worked easier when my when my first kid was was born because I would always say okay as long as she's awake, then I'm not working while she's awake. When she goes to bed, then I'll work. And and that was she used to go to bed like six thirty, you know, or seven o'clock at night. And then it was like perfect, you know. But as she's gotten older now, she's up to like eight, eight or eight thirty now. Later, later during the summer or on the weekends, and I still try to stick to that, to that rule, unless like last fall when it was really bad. And sometimes I would still spend time with her, but I would say, okay, it's seven thirty. I'm going to go work or. If it was the weekend or if it was during the summertime, I would say, hey, why don't you come down to my studio? And I would set up a little, we have a beanbag chair down there. And like, you can have your iPad or we can put a movie on or whatever. You can come downstairs and play. I'll set up a whole thing. So she would spend time with me down there while I worked. It was just everything I could try to figure out how to do. I just don't want to, I don't ever want to cheat them of, of time, you know, where we're playing or doing stuff. Because that's really where, otherwise, I mean, what's the point? <laughs> That's you know that's the stuff that I love you know is my kids and my family and and just being able to do stuff and, and I don't want them to ever feel stressed out about it if if I can help it and like I won't make that mistake again with the deadline that was my own fault normally it's not a problem so I you know I was doing a little bit of research on you and uh, you know I found of course you know, things with chicken hair but I also found and an article from Variety that said there was an option with Sony uh, Animation on chicken hair. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that and how that happened and what happened? <laughs> well, yeah, that was about the same time I got an agent. I had just gotten an agent on accident because he was representing another a writer who I was at the time uh, – Starting to do like a collaboration with on on a comic book that ultimately ended up falling through, but we had some conference calls with him, and he had just made a passing comment like, "Hey, you know, are you represented?" And and I was like, "No, not really." And he was like, "Well, you know, let me know if you're ever interested." And so I was like, "Okay." I mean, at the time, I was doing nothing. I didn't need, I didn't need representation. I, I literally had nothing going on at that time. Uh, this was after the first two Chicken Hair books had been out for a little while. Yeah. Um, and then I got a phone call from Sony, or not Sony, from Dark Horse Entertainment, from their arm, uh, and they told me, "Hey, we uh, 
you know, this is such and such. We have been shopping chicken hair around, and we think we have uh, Sony Pictures Animation is interested in optioning it for a film. And I was like, I about fell out of my chair. And, you know, because that's huge. Yeah, it is. And, and uh, so, the, so then I immediately I said, okay, okay, well, uh, let me call my agent. <laughs> and so I, you know, I called, you know, this guy, Ken, and I said, hey, so you still want to represent me? And, and basically, Ken represents Mike Mignola from Hellboy and a couple other, um, I think he's executive producing on, on the Preacher show on AMC right now. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, he, he's got big clients. And, you know, I'm, I'm not really a big client, but he spends most of his time in L.A. and doing entertainment, rights stuff and all that. So I knew that this would be perfect. So I basically handed it off to him. And it was fairly stressful. Um, I think it was just an arena that I'm not, I was not used to playing in. I'm, I'm, you know, just from the Midwest here in Kansas City. And I don't really have a lot of that experience, you know, w- dealing with that kind of business, I guess. And where, you know, where there's just, it seemed like there's a game. There's always a game being played by somebody for lack of a better way of putting it, I think. Like, I don't think, you know, and, and so Sony was interested. We, they, they optioned it. Excuse me. <clears throat> they optioned, um, eventually about nine months of negotiations and they ended up optioning it and it came out in variety and they had it for the 18 months that they had. And then they, they re-upped. And it looked like it was going somewhere. And the funny thing was, this might be a little off the beaten path, but I don't know if you or if you know anybody who's actually like created, either written a book or a comic or whatever. And you're like, yeah, this is what it is. And for me, it was like, this is this crazy story of this chicken hair character. And he goes on an adventure. You know, that's all it kind of was for me. It was just fun. It wasn't like a deep thought. I didn't have a lot of, I don't know. Well, and they, they were like, yeah, so we're playing up this multiracial kind of thing with it and you know where his dad's like a you know because it because because i had briefly in the story said okay his dad's a rabbit and his mom's a chicken and i just kind of left it at that because i thought why would you even touch on that it was really that was like a little disturbing joke just for me um <laughs> and and so but they had turned this this kind of written this screenplay that was i, I actually it was very different than, than the book they basically took the name Chicken Hair and the idea of it, and they kind of did their own thing entirely. Like it was 99.99% not anything I had ever done. But they had a pretty cool, tw- you know, idea where it was like this multiracial kind of a story about kids trying to fit in with two different kind of cultures and family. And I was like, all right, well, I think this is, I think they might have something with this. And and at the time, this, the uh, person in charge of the studio was like just really excited about it. Everybody was excited about it. It was going well and then there was the the regime change that happens so often and basically they just wiped the slate clean and that was it it just kind of went away after the second option so i know that's not that uncommon but it still sucked <laughs> oh sure so you you have a literary agent but you um if hollywood comes calling for time shifters you know do you plan to go you know get a movie and tv agent well he is actually my agent is a 
movie, movie, TV, comic book agent. He's not technically a literary agent because I usually spend my time in the comic book world. I just got very, very fortunate with Scholastic, which technically they do graphic novels and stuff, but they're very much the book literary world. So I'm kind of uh, straddling that that fence a little bit. Oh, that's great. So after Time Shifters, what's what's next? Uh, well, right now I'm working on a series. I can't really talk about it too much. It's just I'm kind of doing a, another collaboration. I had a book come out um, last year or year before maybe called uh, The Witchfinder General, and it was six issues through First Comics that they just collected in one graphic novel and they've been my agent and the writer uh doc wyatt he he's a one of the well, he spends a lot of time in, out in la and burbank he he writes a lot of uh, uh animated shows and stuff he's fairly successful with it and and uh, again somebody who i just kind of accidentally fell fell in line with there and um so we did the Witchfinder General, and that's been being shopped around a little bit. And so in, in the meantime, he had a couple other ideas, and he pitched me one, and I was like, "Hey, man, let's let's do that. That sounds great." And so I'm working on a new like six issue mini series that'll be collected into a book, and it'll be another all ages, you know, kind of a story. And it's it's really fun. It kind of takes place in outer space, and it's 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 right up my alley with things I like to draw. But that's what I'm working on right now, like right now, and then. Uh, I'm always working on Wicked Crispy. That's just kind of like my what's going on. Although I do have a publisher who's interested at the, at the moment to collect that into like a, a graphic novel or 128 page like trade, uh, the first you know volume or whatever, which is pretty cool. And uh, and then I'm hoping you know to hear back from Scholastic on some you know future uh, Time Shifter books. I'm hoping that's happens soon. I'm really excited about that. Fantastic. So, uh, do you have any advice to creators or illustrators um, who do want to produce their own comics or producing their own uh, series in well, terms of you know what you've learned? Well, I guess I you know I'm going to say Wicked Crispy is not for everybody, but there's something I've I've learned by doing Wicked Crispy, and that is that Wicked Crispy is something that I set out to do just for me. I mean, it was it was something that I, I didn't care what anybody else thought about it. I didn't think that it was anything anybody else would even be that interested in. I certainly was not going to be, you know, shopping it around to a publisher or anything. It was just it was just something that I wanted to do. So I was it's very much it's very personal and it uh even though even though it's kind of gross, it's still very personal to me and it's you know I, I it's a lot of me. It's a lot of the things that I don't know. It's it's just very me. And and what I've learned is that it it found an audience because I think it found an audience because I love it so much. Like I'm excited about it and I it's so gross and it's so weird and 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 it just I do it to make me laugh, but I think that that has just come through. And there's and I have a lot of people who read it now. And when I do conventions, I print it out. I get a couple printed out every now and then. Just you know, just like twenty or thirty copies printed. Um, and I don't really make any money on it because it pretty much costs the same amount of money to print them as it does to sell them. But these individual issues, but people just love it. That's the first thing they come up to my table to get. And I just shake my head like, what is wrong with you people? 
<laughs> you know, this is, you know, this is, you know, not, I don't know. And, and so I guess my, my point is, is to do, don't be afraid to just put yourself out there and do what you love and don't worry about who's going to like it or who's not going to like it because you could waste a lot of time trying to appease everybody and end up with something that ultimately was not what you really wanted to do you know or you know and if you want to if you just want to do art you know if you don't want to maybe write the stuff if you just then find a writer that you really like you know find somebody you want to work with try you know and i know that that's not realistic for everybody cuz you know you got to make a living you got to I, God knows I do work for higher comic book work stuff too and, and freelance and stuff. But I mean, if you're really trying to get in and you want to do your own thing, don't be afraid to just, just do it, you know, and see what happens. I mean, you know, have, have a couple game plans, but you know, if you feel passionate about one thing or another, then just, then just do it and see, you know, the worst case scenario is it's just not going to, it's not going to take off or it's not going to be as big as you want it, but you'll never, you won't have to worry about wondering if you if you should have or could have it's just you know thank you for uh, the interview I have one question one last question what is your um, view on uh, doing work do you see yourself always being an artist writer or do you see yourself moving to where you'll also write projects um, that another artist might do or do you always want to be the artist writer or just the artist? And where do you see yourself going in you know, terms of your career as far as... I, that's a good question. I don't know because I find like when I when I had chicken hair, when I took that to Scholastic, for example, um, they were like, hey, so we're going to get somebody to color this for you. And my first reaction was, what? You know, I, I'm going to color this. This is mine. You know, I don't want somebody else coloring this thing. And And at that moment, I realized how unbelievably overprotective I was of my own stuff and I and as much as I I've sat down and I've tried to come up with ideas with other writer friends of mine like hey let's let's just write this thing together and I immediately get mad at myself and I yank it back and I'm like no I don't want to do that I don't want to do any of that because I just I don't work that well with others as far as the writing and stuff goes and I wonder if I think I can work as an artist with somebody if it's their own idea and they come to me and they just want me to do the art then that's like whatever. As long as they let me do kind of the art how I want within reason, um, you know, I don't know that I could. I don't know that I would want to be just the writer. I think I would be disappointed in the art unless I had. I don't know. Unless it was like unbelievable, amazing artist working with me or something. But I, I'm just so protective of my stuff. So I think right now I'm, I'm really happy with with being the artist writer. And then, uh, although I wouldn't mind things like, you know, those things like people pay people to do the flat uh, comic book art, the flat color, and then they do the final art, uh, color on top of that. And that's something that I haven't gotten into yet, but I'm seriously thinking about because it's a time saver. Same thing with like word balloons and dialogue and stuff. That's stuff that I'm not that attached to. But as far as the art and the writing goes, I just I just don't know. I think that's something I'm probably going to never be able to just get just you know, let somebody else help me out with, even if it's my idea, then I'm going to have to do it all. If it's somebody else's idea, then I don't mind helping out or doing what they need. But I guess if, I guess it comes down to the fact if it's my idea, if it's my story and my stuff, I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to just have to do it myself. Too protective. Understand that. Well, thanks for, uh, 
doing the interview, Chris. I appreciate your time. And uh, audience, if you haven't uh, seen Time Shifters, you should check it out. You can uh, check it out at your local bookstore or at Amazon.com. I will have links to it. Uh, thank you again for listening to the Society of Illustrators of Los Angeles podcast. This is Santosh Uman. You can uh, contact me on Twitter, Santosh913. Thank you for listening. Bye. Hey, folks. Thank you for listening to our podcast on the Society of Illustrators of Los Angeles. We are on iTunes. And if you want to hear more episodes, you can hear us on iTunes. But we're also on SoundCloud. We are on Facebook and also YouTube and a couple of other places. If you want to find out more about the organization, Society of Illustrators of Los Angeles, you can check us out at uh, SI hyphenla.org we are about connection creation and community we are one of the largest artist community um, and nonprofit organizations we are well known for illustration west which is a competition that's been going on for 50 or 60 years but we have events networking and drink and draws which are ours are called craft and draft by the way and um we also have an Instagram to check us out and where we spotlight our new members. So come check us out at si-le.org and uh, check out our Facebook fan page, Instagram, and our number of other social media 